Welcome to our Soul Food Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. In mind, um, we will do things a little bit backwards this morning. We will pray first, and then we'll stand and read the scripture and so forth and get on in, into uh, the lesson. So, let's, uh, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this this time to come together in your name and thank you so much for your presence with you your your presence here lord we just are so unworthy of you but yet lord you love us yet you came into uh, to our lives and drew us to you and and made us your own and lord we just thank you so much for that we thank you that we have this time to be together and to uh, just to hear your word lord and to uh, to lift up your name and Father, we we uh, know that uh, you said we can always come before your throne of grace with our petitions. And Lord, we would like to uh, ask you to re- to be with Pastor Bill, Lord, uh, on Thursday as he uh, has his uh, gallbladder surgery, and with Gloria, Lord, on Thursday as she has her knee surgery. To be with the doctors and uh, all those who are attending these surgeries, Lord, that uh, everything would be successful and the, the problems would be fixed, Lord. We know, Lord, you are the great healer, so we look to you for the ultimate healing. We ask you now, Lord, as we look to your word to put aside everything that would hinder us from receiving what you have, Lord. I pray that you would help me because without you I can do nothing. I am so unworthy to stand before these people, Lord, and proclaim your word. But only through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ I can do this. And only through your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 14. And as soon as I get my iPad to work here. We'll begin with verse 1. And stand when you get that preached. After two days it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes thought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard, And she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do them good. 
but me you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, that what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial for her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. You may be seated. And pardon me while I take my jacket off because I remember the last time I was up here, my jacket kept cutting off my Burger King headset here. Um, I don't want that to happen again this time. So, uh, Yeah, that would be a whopper of a problem. Good grief. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> oh, what can I say? I think we may as well close in prayer. <laughs> oh. Well, two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And if you recall, Jesus had just uh, talked to his disciples about the destruction of Jerusalem, the tearing down of the temple, and about the end times. Fix this thing. And while he's doing that, the chief priests and the scribes are conspiring together how they might put him to death. Verse 1 says, After two days it was a Passover and the feast of the unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. The Passover time was one of the most significant times in the average year of the of the Jews. You know, it was the time when they were finally freed from Egypt. And it was a time when the expectation of the Messiah was at its highest. Because it just made sense to them that, you know, since this was a time that they were freed from their bondage, in Egypt, they would be freed from their bondage to the Romans. But little did most of them know that the Messiah was there. He was right among them all the time. He, it's so easy for him to be among us, it seems like, and us not to recognize his presence. And these guys did not recognize his presence. Now, it says the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. These initially were two feasts. They, for expediency sake, kind of ran them together so that they became one feast later on. But they were, they were two, two separate feasts. And Jerusalem was always full of people at that time. It was required that every man, every male that lived within 
15 miles of Jerusalem had to come to Jerusalem for the Passover. That anybody else who could come, you know, were encouraged to come. So lots and lots of people came in to Jerusalem for the Passover. And these guys, in, in, in plotting to kill Jesus, would love nothing better than to go ahead and do it right now. I mean, he, he had really, really ticked them off. Because if you remember back a couple of chapters, <coughs> the Pharisees came to him with a question that they knew was going to take care of it. Well, he turned the tables on them. Then the, the uh, Sadducees tried the same thing. They fared just as bad. The scribes tried a little different approach, but you know it didn't work either. And after that, they were afraid to approach him again because they knew, you know, in all the times they had before, that anything they tried didn't work. It backfired on them. <coughs> so the only thing left to do was to get rid of him, to kill him. Now, these are the religious leaders of the Jews, supposedly the cream of the crop the ones who were supposed to be the holy guys, the one closest to God. And here they are plotting the murder of the Son of God himself. You know, it's a, it's a sad thing what, uh, what power does. You know, somebody once said that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. These guys were in power, and they were going to do anything that they could to stay that way, even if it meant they had to resort to murder. And they couldn't just do it the right way. They couldn't have him executed the right way. They had to resort to trickery, you know, any way that they could get him. They were going to get him. They didn't really care how they got him, as long as they got him. You know, it's it's really sad to me. You know, I thought about this a lot in studying for this message. That the history of the Christian Church is just replete with this very same thing going on in the hierarchy of various Christian sects particularly in the Catholic Church. I hate to say that, but it's the truth. But but not only that, even, even before, you know, it, it was before the actual founding of the Catholic Church, there were this type of political intrigue going on all the time. Anytime we get, get our eyes away from Jesus, anytime that we, we look to maintain our own power, Anytime we look to our maintain our, our own desire and our own way, you know, we're going to start doing things the way that the world does things. If we can listen to the words of the song that Lisa led us in this morning, you know, more of you and less of me, then we can look to Jesus and we can we can know that we will do things the way that we should, God's way.
they weren't even equating God into this. We don't read anywhere where the religious leaders looked to God and said, you know, we need some, we need some help with this problem because God could have fixed that real, real easy just by simply telling them, listen to him and do what he says because he is saying my words. He, he is God in the flesh. But they didn't, they didn't consider God in the equation. All they were considering was how they might take him by trickery. Yet at the same time, they were cowards in the whole thing too because they said, we can't do it during the Passover because too many of the people believe in him. And so there might be an uproar. They might, there might be a, a riot. Now you can be sure that the Roman guards who were you know, stationed in Jerusalem were really watching things at this time. One thing that the Romans strove to maintain in all of their occupied territories was peace. And there was a, a nice balance going on right now as far as the Jews were concerned, particularly the Sadducees, between the Roman authorities and the, the power that the Sadducees had. As long as things maintained, you know, status quo, calm, peaceful, everything was going okay, the Romans would pretty much leave them alone. But if there was a riot, then the Romans would come in, take over, remove them from their place, and essentially become in charge not only of the government, but also the religious life. They would take control of the temple and everything. And they weren't about to do anything that was going to cause them to lose their position. So they had to go about this in a politically expedient manner. Again, looking to the ways of the world instead of to um, the ways of, of God. You know, they saw the kind of response that Jesus got when he came into Jerusalem you know, just a few days earlier. They knew too many of them were going to side with Jesus if they tried to do anything to him. They knew his popularity. So they had to plan to wait. You know, let's put up with him until after this is over with. But you know, God had other plans, didn't he? And whatever God plans is what's going to happen. And as we see, that's exactly what happened. Verse 3. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, he sat at the table, and a woman came, having an alabaster flax of very costly spikenard, and she broke the flask and poured it on his head. Now, John's account of, of this uh, seems to, to differ a little bit from what Matthew and Mark record. And, you know, it, this is one of those passages where, where people who try to discredit the, the scriptures say, you know, look, there's an inconsistency here. This couldn't be right because Mark 
and Matthew say that this was two days before the Passover, and it was an unnamed woman, and they were at the house of Simon the leper. John says it was six days before the Passover. They were at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and it was Mary who anointed Jesus. And that Matthew and uh, Mark say that she poured the spikenard on his head, and John says she poured it on his feet. Well, you know, a lot of people have tried to reconcile this, saying, you know, I'm not going to go into all the explanations because none of them hold water. But to me, it makes sense that these are two separate occasions. You know, once when he first came to Jerusalem in his final journey from, from Galilee to Jerusalem, and just before he entered into his triumphal entry, he was at the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, who were close friends of his, and Mary anointed him, anointed his feet with oil, as John says, and you know, rubbed the, the spikenard, you know, which is a, a very, very costly perfume, uh, anointed his feet and rubbed, rubbed it with, with her hair, and then in this account, which was, you know, four days later, after he cleansed the temple, after he confronted the religious leaders, and after the, all the discourse, uh, he was at another house in Bethany, the house of Simon the leper, and uh, an unnamed woman comes in and anoints his head. Both, he said, for his burial. Now, and to me, it makes sense that he was anointed head to toe because of the significance of what was going to happen. They were, in a way, prophesying of his, uh, you know, of his death and the fact that he was going to have to be buried. If you remember, he was he was anointed one time before with a very expensive oil. It didn't say this time it was spikenard, but I think it was Luke who tells of this sinful woman who comes into the Pharisee's house when Jesus is having having dinner at the Pharisee's house and uh, anoints his his feet with oil. And they say, you know, if you had known who this woman was, you wouldn't even let her touch you. This was a totally separate incident, totally separate thing. She was anointing him out of gratitude, out of love for him, the fact that he had forgiven her sins. But Mary, the first time anointing his feet, and this unnamed woman the second time anointing his head, were doing so to signify the fact that he was getting ready to be crucified and to die. You know, this was a, a very uh, expensive anointing, too, wasn't it? Let's look at what the, uh, the scripture says. It's at beginning at verse 4. But there were some who were indignant among themselves. Did I read verse 3? 
But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, whenever this gospel is preached in the whole world, that what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. So I was getting ready to say this was an extravagant display of, of devotion, wasn't it? 300 denarii, which was then equal to a whole year's wages. Yeah. Um, Charles Spurgeon said that he was really grateful to Judas for pointing out the fact that this was, or just how valuable this was. Because Judas was concerned about how, how valuable it was. Yeah. And along with him, several of the others, I guess, were kind of carried away. John tells us, you know, that it was, or Matthew, I'm sorry, tells us that it was Judas, you know, who was really concerned about this, the word of God. And because he was a thief, he was only concerned about the money. But Mary at his first anointing and this woman at his second anointing were doing this, you know, as an act of devotion. You know, it cost them something. They gave of themselves. Now, you know, it was it was customary when you received a guest, you know, that the, you would anoint them with oil. Maybe not spikenard because it was too costly, but you know you only used a little bit, even of a less costly oil. But this was a just a, a wonderful act of devotion and a perceptive act on this woman's part. You know, I don't know if she completely understood exactly what it was that she was doing. She probably didn't, but she knew that she loved this man. She had a, a devotion to him, the way that we should have a devotion to him. Yeah, she didn't ask anybody's permission. She didn't say, is this okay? She had purpose in her heart. She had planned beforehand that this is what she was going to do what she was going to do for him. And she went and did it. And then after it was over, she didn't say, what do you guys think about this? You know, was it okay? She, she did what she wanted to do, and she did it without saying a word. Charles Spurgeon also said, wouldn't it be great if a lot of God's people talked less and did more.
was criticized for what she read, even even among Jesus' own disciples. And you know, and if we do talk less and do more, we are going to be criticized for it. We can expect it. But I think that should not hinder us from doing what we know we should do for God. We look at what this this woman did, what she had purposed in her heart to do, and what she carried out to do, regardless of the consequences. You know, and if we do the same thing without regard to you know what other people think, we are so bound, all of us, you know, to one extent or another, some more, some less, but we are all bound by the opinion of others. And the only thing that we should really be concerned about is the opinion of God. I'm saying that to you, and I'm saying it to myself as well. Don't worry about what others think about you. Worry about what God thinks about you and what you are doing for him. You know, and they said, why was this wasted? It's very interesting that the same exact same word translated waste for this spikenard in Matthew and in Mark is the word translated perdition in John, the book of John, referring to Judas when he went and hung himself after betraying Jesus. The exact same word. But Jesus said, this wasn't wasted. This was put to, to very good use. Now, sure you could have sold it and given to the poor. But the poor you're always going to have. They're always going to be around. Me? No, I won't always be here. I'm going to be going away. You, you know, and that, that tells us the importance, the significance, the, the, I guess importance is the only word I can think of right now, but the importance of the person of Jesus. We sometimes tend to abstract Jesus just a little bit too much. But he is, you know, a person, and, and we need to be as devoted to his person as we are to the idea of him. He was God in the flesh, reclining at the table, receiving the worship and receiving the devotion. And for her good works, he said, there's going to be a memorial for her. You know, wherever the gospel's preached, she's going to be remembered. And we're remembering her this morning. Whoever she was, we're remembering her. He gave her an extremely high compliment. You know, apparently, and maybe, I, I don't know this for a fact, but maybe, you know, she had been listening to his teaching. 
he had proclaimed a good number of times that he was going to be killed by the by the authorities and buried and rise again. His disciples hadn't paid too much attention to it, but maybe this woman actually did. Verse 10, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went out to the chief priest to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. You know, I have heard umpteen speculations on Jesus, Judas's motive for betraying Jesus. Nobody knows why he did it. We can only guess. Some people think that you know, he wanted to force Jesus' hand in, in showing himself as to being the Messiah. Some think that he was upset because of the waste of the oil, and this was finally enough, and you know he had to do something about it. You know, I don't know. But whatever his motive was, you know, know this for a fact. Whatever his motive was, it was his motive. God didn't put it in his heart. It was his motive. But the fact that he had decided to do this thing allowed Satan to come in and use him because told that before he betrayed Jesus that Satan came and entered him and we know that God will use the actions of, of wicked people but he doesn't force them he didn't make Judas do this even though it was prophesied that it would happen even though it was, it was foreordained that it would happen he didn't make Judas do this Judas did this of his own free will. James tells us that God cannot be tempted, neither does God tempt anyone with evil. But he can take something like this and use it for his own purpose. The religious leaders had decided they weren't going to kill Jesus on, on the Passover because it might incite a riot. But all of a sudden, you know, the tables turn, things change. Hey, you know, we got a chance now that we can get him by trickery. We can get him by stealth, if you will, you know, away from the crowds, away from everybody else, because one of his own have has turned him in, or will turn him in, because they were glad when they heard it. Hey, now we can finally get rid of this thorn in our flesh. Like I said, things always work out the way God plans it anyway. Jesus was to die over the Passover time because he was and is the ultimate Passover lamb, the ultimate sacrifice for sin, the ultimate payment. And after he died for us, nothing else needed to be done. He paid it all. Our sins washed away by the blood of the pure and righteous Lamb of God.
Jesus. It's all yours.